Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel, a channel focused on helping you establish a biblical philosophy of life that will empower you to reach your full God-given potential. For more information about our church, visit elevate.life. Enjoy this episode. Hey, so glad that you're here today. If you're brand new with us, I want to encourage you to stand up on your feet. You're not standing for me. You're standing for yourself because we like to start this part in the service by saying some things about us that God says about us. So put your hand on your heart because you're going to say it from your heart and the words will be on the screen. Say this with me. I declare that I'm created in the image of God. I am blessed to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and take dominion. I declare that 2022 is my year of promise for me, my family, my finances, and my future. I declare, according to 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen. Yes and amen. Today, I open up my mind to receive the promises of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up, say, come Holy Spirit, help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name, amen. Give yourselves a big hand, give God a big hand. You can be seated, and um, we're so glad that you're here, and I know Pastor Whitney mentioned the seating. You know, some of you are gonna go to HEB today, and you're not gonna get mad at the police for telling you where to park. So here at Elevate Life, if you're new to our church, you probably didn't have a problem being told where to sit. If you've been here for a while, I want to remind you, we don't have assigned seating here at Elevate Life. And uh, we're going to be humble, and we're going to be a part of the process, and we're going to fill empty seats on the floor because we want to have a great experience for our first-time guests. So thank you for being willing to do that and not receiving what I'm saying is patronizing or sarcastic today. <laughs> so I'm Josh. I'm one of the pastors here at Elevate Life, and we're talking about the promises of God. How... how um, I mean, I was in, uh, I was preaching in, in Bossier, Louisiana last weekend, but how amazing was Pastor Whitney? So, you know, Whitney and Pastor Keith are similar in that they're like five tool players. It's like, what can they, how does God not want to use them? Because it seems like he wants to use them every way that anybody can be used. And I'm grateful someone like that's in my family, you know, so worship was so good today. I'm just glad to be here. And what we're talking about in this series is the Bible's full of 7,487 promises from God, not just to the people in the Bible, but to you and me in our life today. And so uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through some notes. We have notes that we always provide. If you use the YouVersion app, you can, uh, you can check out our notes on YouVersion. If you have our church app, you can see the notes there. And if you go to live.elevate.life, you can, you can see our notes in there as well, and that'll give a great template for what we're going to talk about today. And so today I'm talking about the path of promise. In Psalm chapter one, the Bible says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They're like trees planted along the riverbank bearing fruit each season, their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. Verse six says, for the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. Now, um, I'm not gonna ask you, because some of you probably would be honest and raise your hand. How many of you are wicked in this room? Right? None of, us, none of us start by saying, you know what, I really, want my, I really want to be destroyed. I think that's a good idea. 
The Bible, the Bible makes it clear there's, there's two different paths. There's a path of godliness and there's a path of wickedness. And I want to say this up front, that you can be a Christian and still be wicked. And the reason why you can be wicked is because wickedness is not witchcraft. Wickedness is not being a Satanist. Wickedness is doing things your own way, not God's way. That's how the Bible defines wickedness. Now it's, a bibli- it's this whole biblical word that uh, we don't use in our current vernacular. Like you're not going to go to work tomorrow and call someone wicked at, at your job. Right? So it's not something that we use. But when the Bible talks about the path of the wicked, the Bible's saying that this is the path of a person who does life their way. This is the path of someone who, who doesn't do things God's way. And uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of disappointment up front. Jesus paid it all for your eternity. He didn't pay it all so you could have a great life. So a lot of us think we live in America. Everyone's here to serve us. Everyone's here to just make our dreams come true. And Jesus dying on the cross, if I buy into the fact that I'm a Christian, then I'm not going to do things my own way anymore. That's not, that's not, that's not how it works. I'm sorry. And we're going to talk about promises. We're going to get to that. We're going to get to promises. But let's talk a little bit about setting some context. So the Bible's talking to us and it says there's a way, there's a way that's joyful. There's a way that's amazing. There's a way that's godly. And then there's this way that leads to destruction. So Psalm 1 paints us, paints us this picture. It tells us that there's two paths in life, one that leads to promise and one that leads to destruction. The question for us today is which path are we on? So in uh, ancient mythology, in Greek mythology, there's a story about Hercules at the crossroads. And according to legend, as a young man, Hercules was walking along a path and then he reached a crossroads. He sat down and he thought about whether or not he should go left or right. And as he was thinking about the choice in his head, two women appeared out of the sky. The first one, her name was Lady Vice. She approached Hercules with an offer. She said if Hercules went in in her direction, that he would live an easy life full of luxury and pleasure. He wouldn't have to lift a finger and everything would be provided for him by other people. This would be a life of happiness for him. The second woman, her name was Lady Virtue. And Lady Virtue outlined her offer. She said Hercules would live a life of struggle where he would be tested by many hardships and it would be a very long and arduous journey. But despite the difficulties he would face, if he had enough discipline, equanimity, and grit, he could overcome the difficulties and on this path, he would find something different than happiness. He would find joy. In this story, Hercules realized in that moment that what you get easily, you don't value, but what you struggle to earn, you treasure. Some of you, like you're, grow, you're, you're building a legacy for your family, you're building a legacy for your kids. You know, I think, I don't know what the statistic is, but a very small percentage of businesses make it to the second generation. Why? Because most often the first generation paid a price for something and they treasured it, where the second generation will squander it because they didn't know what kind of price was paid for that. So some of us would love to win the lottery and, it's, and what you'll realize is that as soon as you win the lottery, that money doesn't mean all that much to you because you didn't have to earn that. There's a difference between something being given to you and something being earned by you. And that doesn't mean that we should always just earn everything, but we don't often value things that are just given to us. And Lady Vice says, hey, I will give you happiness, I'll give you comfortability, I'll give you an easy life, but you won't, have, you won't face any hardship. And Hercules didn't hesitate. He chose the second path. He chose the road of virtue over the road of vice. So in life, like, we're constantly faced with crossroads. We're constantly faced with decisions. We're constantly faced with paths that we should take. Life itself is decisions. Like, you decided 
to wake up this morning and get out of bed. You decided what clothes you were gonna wear. You decided to come to church. You decided to watch online. You decided who you're gonna marry. You decided what job you're gonna have. Pretty much everything about your life is constituted by the decisions that you make. There's not one part of your life that happens that you're not deciding something. So life, life uh, in life, we, we live at a crossroads. There's just always paths for us to take. So life presents us with the choice between virtue and vice, but God presents us with different choices. God presents us with the choice for godliness or wickedness, prosperity or destruction, promise or hopelessness. So the question for today, we're talking about the promise, we're talking about the promise of God, this is our year of promise as a church, is uh, how can we make sure that we're on the right path? Because in, in our, in our a Western or American Christian context, I can say to myself, well, because I consider myself a Christian, because I'm like a semi-godly person, then I'm on the right path. That couldn't be further from the truth. Because, because securing your eternity with Jesus is like the most important thing. But nothing about eternity relates to today. You get to decide how your today looks. That's the choice that God gives you. Now, you and I, honestly, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't want to take responsibility for that. Because if I have to take responsibility for today, then that means God's not just going to do everything for me. He's not just going to decide things for me. That means there's not a one for me that I'm going to marry. What that means is that I have to pick the person that I'm going to marry, and I'm probably going to make the wrong choice. That means that I, there's not like a right job for me. There's not a right church for me. God's not just going to send me into things. I actually have to have the ability to use my brain and think. And a lot of Christians don't want to do that. I get it. It's easy to not have a brain. It's easy to be a little baby and have everything decided for you. Like babies enjoy that. Hey, this is when you're going to eat. Well, they enjoy it for a while, right? Like Charlie's four and Harper's two. They don't enjoy that anymore that enjoyed decisions getting made for them. But a lot of us look at God as if he's just gonna make the decision for us. And we get all spiritual about it. We're like, oh, God's gonna send me here and God's gonna send me there and God's gonna do this and God's gonna do that. You know, my time is up here. And people do that, whether you believe this or not, people do that in marriages. Like, hey, God told me that we were gonna get married. Oh, he did. Yeah, God told me we didn't need to be married anymore. <laughs> so funny how interesting, how, how often God changes his mind about stuff. The way that we live, you know, God, here's, here's the number one way to guarantee no one will ever question you about any decision you make. Just say, God told you. It's game over. It's done. No one can say anything. So God told me is a, 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 a thing that I get to hide behind a lot. Because as long as God's doing it, I don't have to take responsibility for it. So you think about your life. Like if, if, if it's all about, hey, God's going to do this and God's going to do that and I'm just a faith person and I just believe and I'm probably not going to take any action. I'm just going to believe. Then what you do is you leave, you leave the results of your life up to God and then you go, well, God just, I guess, didn't want to do that. So I don't have any money because I just trust that God will give me the right amount of money. I'm not going to go get a job. I just think God will just drop money in my bank account. Now, can he do that? For sure. I believe for that. I think, I think today I can log into my bank account. There's a billion dollars in there. It's like, man, praise the Lord. <laughs> That's my prayer. Why not pray for that? Go for it, 100%. <laughs> so we live life. And this is like what's really easy for us to, the, the, this is, here's a place that's really easy for us to get to. Where we think that God's way is our way and our way is God's way. So now because I've, I've said yes to Jesus or I assent to the, to the belief that there is a God, then what that means is that everything I do, God blesses that thing. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12, 
The Bible says there's a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. So the Bible tells us that there's paths, right? The Bible tells us that there's a path that seems right to us. And what does that look like today? The Declaration of Independence, also known as the Bible 2.0, to some people, tells us that we have God-granted, the God-granted ability for life, liberty, and what? The pursuit of happiness. Man, that's right there as if it was in the Bible, isn't it? And we live our life and we have this American Western cultural context that, said I, that says the greatest thing that I can pursue is happiness. And we live in a culture that will tell you that. And the cultures that we live in and the things that we're a part of place immense, immense pressure on us to do things a certain way because everybody's going that direction. It's like a river and if you try to, go, to not go the direction of that river, you're swimming upstream. So then we start to think to ourselves, well, the American way has got to be God's way. And there's other cultures in the world, though. So if you're raised in Asia, a place like Singapore or China or Japan, there's not individual freedom. That's not the focus for them. The focus, the focus is collective. It's like, please your family. Make sure you don't embarrass the group. Make sure that the, the whole thing comes together and everything works together. Don't, don't be a tall poppy because you're going to get cut down. That's very collectivist. That's a mentality that's, that's rooted in a culture. So is the American way God's way? Is the Singaporean way God's way? Is all these other ways God's ways? If we're, not, if we're not careful, you know, what we do is we just add God to the culture that we're already in. So we start to say, well, if it's in the Declaration of Independence, then it must be the most important thing to God. No, that's the most important thing to the founding fathers, and that's great. America's a great country. The, West is a, the Western world is a great place to live. Does God want us to be happy? I think so. Happiness is a form of God blessing us. This is not a church where you're going to hear that God wants you to be sad, unhappy, and poor. This is not that kind of church. Why? Because we think that God wants us to enjoy this side of eternity. If God didn't want you to enjoy this side of eternity, you'd just been born in heaven. Right? If God didn't send you to the earth, the, the earth for a purpose, for a reason, to help you live a rich and satisfying life, Jesus says in John chapter 10, he says, I have come that you might have an abundant life. Now, in some churches, they don't really believe that anymore, right? They're like, oh, you know, Jesus came so that we could really uh, just struggle through it and die one day and go to heaven and finally be happy. Jesus said, I've come that you might have an abundant life. You know what that word abundance means? That word abundance means remarkable, extraordinary, beyond normal. Jesus came and he lived a life and he showed us how to live so that on this side of eternity, we could have a great life. Now, if that was true, why aren't more people living great lives? Why aren't more people of God living great lives? Why aren't more people uh, of God uh, prosperous? Why aren't more people of God like healthy? Why aren't more people of God happy? Why aren't more people of God joyful? Because they're taking culture and they're thinking in their mind that cultural narratives and cultural truths and cultural ideologies are also God's way because that's the direction that culture is going. The Bible literally says the opposite. The Bible says don't follow the behavior and customs of this world. But here's what we do. We think that because we have a God consciousness that we're automatically going to follow God's ways. And that could not be further from the truth. So we live in a country, we live in a space, we live in a world where happiness is the goal. The goal is for me to be happy. And people make decisions based on their happiness. People decide the, who they're going to be married to. They decide the job they're going to have. 
They make all these different decisions based on this pursuit of happiness. And they put, they put the pursuit of happiness as the highest goal that they could attain to. And again, like I said, this is not a place where we're like, hey, God wants you to be unhappy. Does God care about your happiness? Yeah, is that your primary pursuit in life? Probably not. Because here's what pursuing happiness looks like. So there's three things. If, we're, if, if happiness was our chief goal in life, there's three things that have to be true. The first thing is, whatever makes me happy must be right, and whatever makes me unhappy must be wrong. Now the problem with that is that something becomes right the moment it makes us happy. Sin, the Bible talks about sin, and sin is an archery term for missing the mark. So sin can become right to us the moment it makes us happy. Be a pro tip about sin. It makes you happy. You don't sin because it makes you sad. Like you don't get angry and hold on to your anger because you're happy about it. You like being angry. You don't live with unforgiveness in your heart because you're, you, you don't want to be unforgiving. Unforgiveness can make us feel happy for a season. <laughs> we, don't, we don't give in to lust and temptation and all the things we give into because they make us unhappy. That would make no sense. You know, I get really sad when I do this, so I think I'll keep doing it. No, we're like creatures of habit. And so we say, well, maybe if, I, maybe if I get drunk again, I'll be happy again. Or maybe that's the only time I'm happy is when I'm drunk. For a lot of people, that's true. So they live their life and they have this pursuit of happiness. And so if something makes me happy, it must be right. And if something makes me unhappy, it must be wrong. Now, that's not God's way. That might be the world's way, but that's not God's way. The second thing that has to be true if we're on this pursuit of happiness is that discomfort, delay, risk, suffering, obstacles, and inconvenience are not from God. So anything that's hard for me is not God's way. This is what people do in marriages. They're like, well, if God was in this marriage, this marriage would be easy. None of us would be married if that was the case. Like, if, if, if I feel comfortable, then that means God is in this. If I feel like there's no risk, then that means God is in this. If I feel like I'm not going through anything, then that means that God is in this. And if that was true, if number two was true, then you would never have faith and you would never be faithful. Because the Bible talks about faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says that faith is the substance of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we don't see. We, we don't believe. We have faith. Faith is action that's based on your belief. If I think that obstacles are not from God, then what I do is I think I begin to operate as if any obstacle shows me that that's not a path that I should take. When the truth is, it's a path that you, it's probably a path that you should take and you should continue to have faith and believe it's going to work out. We just sang a bunch of songs about that. God, we believe when we don't see it, wonders are still what you do. Now, the problem is a lot of us are pursuing happiness, and so we're singing a song like that, but we're not living like that's true. God, you know, it's... <laughs> God, I know you do wonders, and the wonder I need you to do is to not allow me to ever experience discomfort. I don't want anything to ever be uncertain for me. I don't want anything to ever be difficult for me. I don't any, want anything to ever be traumatic for me. I don't want anything to ever be hard for me. A lot of people use this as an, as an evidence that God doesn't exist. They say God doesn't exist because there's difficulty in the world. And why would God allow difficulty to happen in the world? Right? Well, like why would God allow unhappiness at all? 
Because really what we should do is if God really loved us, he would just let us be happy all the time. So number two, I don't think it can be true. Number three, my feelings are how I measure my life. Now this is the dangerous one that if we're honest, most of us live here all the time. If, my, if, if, if number three was true, it is impossible for you to be happy. Why? Because anyone that says my feelings are my truth and anyone that says my feelings are how I measure my life is the least happiest person in the room 100% of the time because they live tossed to and fro by what happens to them. They are focused on everything that they can't control around them and how it makes them feel. If something good happens, it makes me feel good. If something bad happens, it makes me feel bad. You know, the, the interesting thing about someone who says it makes me feel a certain way is they give up control to everything that's external to them. You ever heard like a... Uh, parents say this to their kids, you're making me be this way with you. Your kids are the boss. If your kids are making you do stuff, they run your game. They're the boss. You, not you. You can say I'm the parent all day, but they're making you do everything. You're making me be mad at you. You're making me yell at you. You're making me treat you this way. People do this in their marriages. They're like, because you did this, I'm going to do this. And you made me do this. Like you cheated on me. So you made me cheat on you. How does that make sense? Become an instinctive animal where the only thing you have is stimulus and response. I have no ability to think. It's like I just cut my brain out of my head. We're lobotomizing ourselves when we, when we live just based on our feelings. My life becomes a series of things that make me feel things. So I pursue something that's impossible. What's impossible? Finding things that only make you feel good. Man, burgers are amazing. They make me feel so good. Like I love food so much. Now, I was with Pastor Jeremy this week and uh, he feeds me like a pig at a trough. I don't know how else to, <laughs> how else to describe. He's like, here, have some more pizza. Like, oh, let's go get ice cream. He wants three scoops. I'm like, I don't want one scoop, man. Like you're just, so man, like pizza's delicious. What if you ate pizza all the time every day? Pizza makes you happy until it makes you sad. Y'all ever seen Matilda? Dude eats the cake, gets the slice of cake. She's like, oh, you like cake. Why don't you sit up here and eat the whole cake? Ugh. I had a friend one time, his dad, his dad caught him chewing tobacco. And um, some of y'all know where this is headed. Because <laughs> your dad caught you chewing tobacco. So his dad caught him chewing tobacco and uh, he's like, oh, you like chewing tobacco, huh? You like dipping? He's like, yeah. He goes, okay, you're gonna sit here and you're gonna dip this whole can right in front of me. Talk about a puke party. Man, dipping tobacco, I've never done it. It seems good until you gotta do a whole can at one time. I mean, but some of you do because you're so used to it. It's, it's like pretty incredible. Anyway, it's like right another friend. I had another friend that got caught smoking weed. Right? What does dad do? Does that made him smoke the whole thing. <laughs> if you weren't paranoid before, <laughs> talk about couch lock, bro. Have couch lock for a week. That's what pursuing happiness is like. <laughs> couch lock. Some of y'all don't know what that is. You can Google it. That's what pursuing happiness is like. If you live your life and it's just about, hey, I just want to be happy, you're going to get that thing, you're going to hold on to that thing until you hate that thing. 
Everyone I know that uh, has cheated on their spouse or slept around a lot or partied or drank or done whatever, they do that enough till they get to the point where they're sick of it and they can't take it anymore. There's a really great Twilight Zone episode, like the old, the old Twilight Zone show, where this guy's robbing a bank and he dies and he gets killed and he uh, wakes up and it seems like he's in heaven where all of his dreams have come true. Now the problem in the episode, it's like such a good episode of this TV show, I wish I could play the whole thing. But the problem, the problem is that the, the guy, he, he thinks he's in heaven because he keeps getting everything that he wants. And he's like, I'm tired of, I'm ti-. He, get, he goes to like his little tender guy, the guy that's tending him. And he says, I'm tired of all of this. I'm tired of all of this. I want something different. He's like, no. He goes, I'm, this isn't like heaven's not very funny. He goes, no, you're not in heaven. You're in the other place. This is the place where you get everything you ever wanted. And it never stops. It's such a, it's such a fascinating thing to me that we pursue happiness so much. We pursue things that make us happy so much. But if we really get those things and we get a lot of it, we can't take it anymore. So there's a way that seems right to a person, but at the end of that way is death. That's what the Bible tells us. And so we're, we're <clears throat> and it's understandable because we live in a culture that is like, there's very high pressure in culture to conform to this stuff. And we're not, we're not always the most careful about who we're listening to and what the fruit of their life is. So culture tells us, pursue happiness, pursue happiness, just be happy, just be comfortable, just set yourself up that way and then you'll finally feel fulfilled and successful in life when the truth is uh, you might want a slice of cheesecake but you don't want the whole thing, it'll make you sick. That's how the rest of life works. So that's the bad news, bad news about happiness. The good news is that there's another path, there's another path that we can take. So Psalm 1611, David says this to us, you show me the way of life granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Happiness is great. The problem is not happiness. The problem is when we make happiness the goal. Happiness is a byproduct. This is what Hercules realized in his choice. The path of vice is the path that pursues happiness. What's the path of virtue? The path of virtue is the path that pursues joy. It's right there in Psalm 1611, granting me the joy of your presence. The way of life is the joy of God's presence. In Psalm chapter one, you can see right there in verse one, it says, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. So again, wickedness is not people that are sacrificing animals and drawing pentagrams on things. Although that's probably wicked. (laughs) Wickedness is doing things your own way. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of people doing life their own way. Turn on the news, those people are doing life their own way. Read a book, that person's doing life their own way. There's joy that comes with doing life God's way. Psalm 1611 you will show me the way of life. This is not a way that we're creating. This is not the American way. This is not the insert your last name here way. This is the way of life that God has set before us. And the Bible talks about joy. Joy is not happiness. There is not one mention of the word happiness in the Bible. The Bible talks about joy and it talks about gladness. So what is joy in scripture? Joy is this Greek word, kara which means knowing that God is working all things together for our good. That's the joy of God's presence. In the Bible, and I wanna wanna paint this 
they paint this picture differently because happiness is a feeling, but joy isn't. So in the Bible, joy is a reason to be happy. It's a reason that we should be happy. Joy is the knowledge that everything will come together for good at the end. Because of joy, I can endure difficulty, hardship, and suffering because I know that God's plan is working in my life. Now, so many of us are going through life and we're unhappy and we're not joyful because we don't know. So we struggle and we face hardships and we're going through difficulty and we're like, you know, Whitney talked about doubting Thomas. We're like, oh man, God, I, I, I don't believe it because I don't see it. And we don't want to admit that we're those kind of people. I don't want to admit to myself that I really don't have that much faith. But if God's got to show it to me instantly, then I don't really have that much faith. And I'm wanting God to make me happy. I'm not finding joy. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. One is taking seed, throwing it in the ground, and 10 seconds later going, why isn't this a plant now? That's what some people do. Like, well, God, I'm doing all the things you want me to do. How long have you been doing it? Three whole days. <laughs> God, I've had 10 years of dysfunction in my marriage, and I've been doing marriage your way for a whole week, and she's still upset at me. <laughs> like... Come on, man. So this, is, this shows us the, con like we just, we just go, man, I live my whole life being broken. And uh, as soon as I went to Jesus, he's just gonna fix everything instantaneously. I wish that was true because that would make it super easy and we would all be really happy. The, the, in, in Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis paints this picture of repentance. And Jesus talks about repentance. He uses this word metanoia, which means changing your thinking. C.S. Lewis talks about repentance in mere Christianity. And he says, repentance is not changing your path. It's going back to the beginning and starting over. This is what God asks, invites us to do. Is that in the midst of the difficulty, we get to go back and start again. So, so joy, the joy, the joy that God wants us to experience. Romans 8, 28, we, we've, we've talked about it so much throughout this year. We talk about it all the time here at Elevate Life. We know that God is working all things together for good, for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. If you really believe that, you would never, be, you would never lack joy because you would always know that God's gonna work it together for your good. No matter what the delay is, no matter what the denial is, no matter what the dysfunction is, no matter what the suffering is or the trial is, you can sit there and go, this is gonna be a great story. It's gonna be amazing. When I get to this, this is horrible right now, and I'm, not I'm so not having a good time, but when I get to tell this story, it's gonna be amazing, and I'm gonna do it with a smile on my face. That's powerful, that's the power of joy. Joy is not feeling great. Joy is knowing that it's going to be great. Joy is when Joseph is in slavery and when Joseph is in jail, knowing that at some point God's going to work it together for his good. He looks at his brothers in Genesis 50 and he says, which you meant for evil, God meant for my good. Why would he be upset? The, the pain and the struggle and the suffering and the strife that he went through set him up to be the number two guy in the, in the greatest country in the world at that time. Why would he be upset about it? Because God's using it. So what is joy? Happiness is feeling, joy is knowing. So so many of us, we wanna feel, we wanna, we wanna feel a certain way. And that is the path to happiness. 
The path to happiness is feeling a certain way, getting your feelings in the right place and everybody around you making you feel certain ways. Joy is knowing a certain thing. Joy is often, there's hardship that's associated with joy. There's difficulty that's associated with joy. I'm not saying that like, it's not hard for us, but life's gonna be hard anyway. Knowing, knowing and having joy is going, going, man, like I know God's gonna work this together for my good and I can't wait to see how he does it because I don't see it right now. I don't see it through my human eyes and that's a little bit hard for me, but God, I can't wait to see this. You're gonna use this. Joy is the path of hardship, but joy is also, also the path to the promise. So what does Lady Vice want out of you? Lady Vice wants you to be happy. Lady Virtue wants you to experience joy. So we're at a crossroads today and we have to choose our path. Here's where happiness, here's where, here's where a lack of happiness or unhappiness ultimately comes from for us. A lack of happiness for you stems from you not knowing something. Like I'm unhappy in my marriage because I don't know how my marriage is going to work out or I don't know if this person's ever really going to change or be any different. I'm unhappy with this. I'm unhappy with that. I'm unhappy in my job because I don't have enough opportunities. I don't know how it's going to work out for me at my job. The Bible doesn't tell us that we perish for lack of happiness. Like you're unhappy, you're going to die. That's not what the Bible says. So think about it. If joy is knowing and the root of unhappiness is not knowing, the Bible tells us that we perish for lack of knowledge. That's what the Bible says. When you know joy, you're going to know happiness too. Because you're going to know 100%. If you only want to feel happy, you'll never know joy. I perish for lack of knowledge. What makes my life hard, what makes me the most unhappy, is me not knowing how it's going to work out. So what do we know? What do we know as a church? What have we been talking about? 2 Corinthians 1.20, all the promises of God are what? Yes and amen. All 7,487 promises of God are yes and amen. So I know that and I can have joy. Because I know that that is joyful for me and I can be happy. What else do I know? I know Romans chapter 8 verse 28, God causes all things to work together for my good. So I'm joyful, baby. I got a smile on my face, even though it's hard. Even though it's difficult, I can be joyful because I know God's going to work it together for my good. I know that. Now, here's the problem. A lot of us don't know. Like you're sitting here and you've probably been in our church, maybe been in our church throughout this year. You know that God has promises, but you don't know the promises. The important thing is not knowing that God has promises. The important thing is knowing the promises. Because if you, if, you, if, you know if you know about promises, that's great. But if you know the promises, that's different. That's joy. So many people, they, first of all, they call it their money, which shows that you don't think right about it because it's not really your money, it's God's. So many people don't trust God with their money because they don't know how it's going to work out. Even though Malachi chapter 3, verse 10 and 11 God gives us a promise. That's one of the 7,487 promises. Test me in this, God says. Put God first with your money, with your tithe, and God says he will open up the windows of heaven over your life and pour out a blessing that you cannot contain. That is what the word of God says. Now, we're unhappy financially, and we don't know why, and we don't understand why, and we don't know the promises of God, so we don't put God first with our money, and then we're like, God, like, why isn't my life working out? If you know the promise, if you truly know like 1.7 out of every 10 Christians tithes puts God first. This is a great example of happiness versus joy. 
Because you're not going to have a problem giving if you know what the Bible says about giving. And then people say, well, you know, tithing is an Old Testament concept. Jesus talks about the tithe in Matthew chapter 23. So there's a lot of excuses for not knowing and not doing. But this is what people do. They go, well, either they don't know and they don't do, and that's ignorant, or they know and they don't do, and that's stupidity. Just saying. That's what my teachers taught me in high school. You knew what to do, you didn't do it. I'm gonna let you decide what you are. Not, my teacher said that to me. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that to you. So 1.7 out of every 10 Christians tithe. They put God first their money, even though the Bible says not only is that commandment, but that's a commandment with a promise. So they can't live in the promise because they're not sure what's gonna happen if they tithe. But if you know what the Bible says, you know what's gonna happen when you tithe. So why wouldn't you just go ahead and tithe and have joy about it because you know God's going to work it all together for your good and everybody else is good too. So we don't give to get here at Elevate Life Church, but that's just one example of where it's really hard for us to pursue joy over happiness. I'm not happy when I give money. It's my, I, I feel like it's my money. I shouldn't have to give this. I, should, I, I shouldn't have to. Like, this is something that affects me personally when I have to sow into things. I'm not like, no, no. I mean, I think that the people that serve here in our church, I think that the servant leaders in our church, I think they're generally happy. They're not necessarily always the most happy giving up their time and their talent and treasure to serve the house, but there's joy in it. Why? Because they know it's doing something in their life and in other people's lives. So no matter what the difficulty is, the knowledge of God's promises gives me joy. Look back at Psalm chapter one, the first, the first verse. Oh, the joys of those who walk in God's path. In the ESV version, or in the New King James version, it says blessed. Blessed are those who do this. So joy is blessing. What, is, what does blessing mean there? Blessing is this word, Makarios, which means more than happy. God wants you to be more than happy. He just wants you to be happy. Don't aim so low in your life to just be happy. Some people are going through life, they're just aiming so low. Like the lowest standard is happiness and like, God, maybe I can get there someday. Don't aim so low. God wants you to be more than happy. God wants you to be above and beyond happy. God wants you to live with joy. God wants us to be those kind of people that in the path of promise, man, I'm ha- sure I'm happy, man, but happy is like the lowest bar I can get to. And like you look at the state of the world today, it's like, can someone be happy? Maybe we can get to the lowest bar in the room. God's like, I want so much more for you than that. Like some of us are going to God and we're like, God, I just, you know, God, I just want to be happy. And God's like, I, you, know, you know, maybe I want you to be happy too, but I want so much more for you than happiness. I want you to be more than happy. When we choose joy, when we choose God's promises in our life, we become more than happy, we become joyful. So how does this look practically? We teach in triads here at Elevate Life and if you're around here for a while, you'll you'll see this, you're probably comfortable with this this, uh, system or format. So the first thing we have to do, if we're gonna gonna choose the path of joy, then, then, then the path of promise, the first thing we have to do is we have to think like God. Psalm chapter one, verse two, tells us that we are blessed when we meditate on God's word. 
Think according to God's promises, not according to the situation, the circumstance, the reality of things. Think according to what God's word has to say about your life and about the situation. Now, the problem we have, again, uh, in uh, the world that we live in is for most of us, the only Bible that we hear is what you're hearing from this platform today. We don't read the word for ourselves. That's the preacher's job. That's the pastor's responsibility to know what the Bible says. You cannot think like God and you cannot understand God's promises if you do not interact with them. The most important thing you can do, I know this is so basic and so elementary, but we gotta talk about two plus two equaling four because some of us don't do that, don't do the math. Two plus two equals four is read your Bible. Know the word of God so that you can think like God in your life. Isaiah chapter 55, the Bible says, God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. So as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are God's ways and God's thoughts higher than our ways and thoughts. How do we get to where God is in our thinking? We have to wanna think like him. Don't be conformed to the behaviors and customs of this world, Romans chapter 12, verse two says. But allow God to transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. The only way to do that, church is important, worship is important, preaching is great. The only way to do this though is to pursue thinking like God and pursue his word. So we have to think like God. The second thing is we have to be joyful. He's talked about joy. But because you know God's promises, because you're thinking on God's promises, you're thinking like God, you could have an attitude of joy no matter what the situation is. If you know that God's gonna work all things together for your good, there's no reason to be upset. No matter what the delay is, it's like, okay, you know, I'm not, this isn't preferable. It's okay for it to not be preferable. This isn't preferable, but God, I can't wait to see how you work this together for my good. If I know God's promises about my finances and about ordering things in my life and about him rebuking the devourer on my behalf and opening up windows of heaven in my life, I can have joy when I give and joy when I sow because I know God's gonna work all that together for my good. And then finally, do core values. You're gonna hear about core values a lot in this church. I'm not gonna talk about core values today. For, for a long time. But what can you control in life? You can control your thoughts, your attitudes, and your actions. How can you know in any circumstance, in any situation that you're successful? Living by your values. We have four core values here at Elevate Life. Honor, servant leadership, growth, and grit. No matter what culture says about our church, no matter what our Google reviews are, no matter what our Yelp reviews say, you know what we can control? How honoring we are as a church. You know what we can control? How much we serve as a church. You know what we can control? How much we grow as people within the church. You know what we can control? How much grit and work ethic we put into something. No matter what the situation looks like, there's always a way forward for me because I can always act according to the core, the core values that I have in my life. I can always take the biblical principles and I can apply them to my life in the form of core values and say, you know what? This situation is not super great, but the question for me is not how do I press the ejector seat? The question for me is how do I act according to my core values today? And if you don't have core values, get some in your life and live according to them. Because you got to be able to control what you can control. Nobody, no person, no thing should be able to make you do anything. The only way that can, that can happen is if you decide that you're going to control what you can control really well. And control it according to the principles and values and standards in scripture. Let God worry about everything else. What we teach here at Elevate Life is it's our job to believe and take action, and it's God's job to do what? The impossible. the impossible. 
God's gonna do the impossible anyway. You just take action based on scripture. Believe in the word of God, believe in the promises of God, believe in the values and the principles and the standards that you have in your life based on scripture and watch God show up and do the impossible in your life. That's how it works. <clears throat> because then we'll have God's promises. We'll live in the 7,487 promises that God gives us through his word. Remember today, happiness is a feeling, but joy is knowing. I don't need to feel a certain way because you know what's more powerful than what I feel? What I know. Pastor Keith says your feelings are not facts. My facts are facts though. The promises of God are facts. So I might not feel super great today. It might not be going amazing, but what I know 100% is that God's got promises for me. What I know 100% is that it's gonna work together for my good. It's not up to me to work it together for my good. It's not up to this person or this situation to change. I know at any point, God's just gonna drop into this thing, tie it up in a bow, and I'll be like, man, what a great gift that you've given to me and this promise that you have for me, God. That's how God wants us to live every day. That's what it means to be promise driven is that we think like God and that we're joyful. We just know, you gotta know that you know that God's gonna work things together for your good. And then you live the right way. You live according to standards and values and principles that are from God's word. And then you watch God's promises happen in your life. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? The first thing we gotta do the most important thing. You might be watching online, you might be in this room today. The most important thing for us to do is for us to, to assent and to choose the most important promise in scripture, and that's the promise of Jesus. The promise of Jesus says that he came so that we could have eternal life, and he came so that we could be reconciled to God. You know, Jesus came so that you could be secure in eternity, but he also came so that you could live a great life on this side of eternity. We have to be willing to give up our way. We have to be willing to choose God's way so that we can live in joy. And maybe it was during worship, maybe it didn't have anything to do with what I said today, but you just know that you know that Jesus Christ is not in first place in your life, that you are not doing things God's way and you want to. The great thing is that God is faithful to help us move forward. The Bible says that God, God's goodness leads to repentance. This isn't about feeling condemned or feeling like you're not good enough. This is about understanding that God wants to change your thinking that fast and move you forward into the destiny that God has for you. And the only way to do that is to give him your whole life, give him every part of your life. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, just pray this prayer and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. From this day forward, I repent of my sins. I give you my life. Thank you for your hope and your promises and your joy. In your name I pray, amen. Can we give those people that made that decision a big hand? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our channel to be notified of our latest episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. That way, you know when a new episode has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, visit elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.